We are in a series entitled Revealing the Mystery, and John chapter 3 is what I'm calling the beginning of the ministry. Now, John chapter 1 was the beginning of the mystery. John chapter 2, the beginning of the miracles. John 3, the beginning of the ministry. And by the way, those of you that are doing your homework reading ahead, John 4 will be the beginning of the mission. And you'll try and figure out why I'm calling it the mission, all right? So this is the beginning of the ministry. And I want to show you a verse. I want to begin with probably the most famous verse in the Bible. And I understand that. John, that would be John chapter 3, verse 16. And I know many of you have read it many, many times, and you probably have it memorized, but I want you to pretend like this is the first time you've ever heard this. I want you to put yourself in the place of Nicodemus today and think about what Jesus Christ is saying in this verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. That right there is amazing to me. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then I want you to look at verse 17. For God, it begins the same way, did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I want you to know something. I want you to get this in you. This phrase has been going off in me I'd say every day, several times a day since the beginning of July, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn us. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn us. God did not send His Son into the world that we might be found guilty. God sent His Son into the world to declare us not guilty. God sent His Son into the world to forgive us. This is amazing. This shows the redemptive nature of God, the redemptive and compassionate heart of God. God did not send Jesus into the world for you to be found guilty. He sent Jesus into the world so we could be forgiven. Now, that's great news, isn't it? Now, we're going to read in just a minute some other verses in John. But I want you to understand that we're going to do something today that may shake you up a little bit. But personally... I'm okay with that. I'm okay with if you get shaken a little bit. I'm all right with that because I have a purpose in what I'm doing. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. I'm preaching to the the church in, in South Lake today, Gateway Church. And I am saying to you, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. I want you to examine your born-again experience. I hope you understand you are basing all eternity on your born-again experience. You're basing all eternity. You're not basing it on your works. The Bible is very, very clear that we're saved by grace through faith, not works. So you're not basing it on your church attendance. You're not basing it on reading the Bible. You're not basing it on uh, that you live a good life. That, that, is, that is false religion. You're not basing it on that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You're basing it on that you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your experience, your time when you were born again. So I want you to examine that today very, very carefully, alright? And if you can be shaken, I'm going to shake you. I want to shake you. Because if there's ten people here that are on their way to hell, and I shake them, and they get saved, it's worth it to me. 
And if there's ten more people who are doubting, and they come to get saved again just because I shook them, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> because God will forgive you. If you get saved twice, God will forgive you, okay? But He won't forgive you if you don't get saved once. So it's very important that you truly get born again, alright? So, are you, are you, you understand where we're going? Are you okay? Because many of you who think you're saved are going to realize by the Holy Spirit you're not, and you're going to get saved today. It's going to be wonderful. We had 52 people saved last night in the two services. I'm asking the Lord for over 100, so we've got a good start. All right. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? This is a normal question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, there are four things that I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me out of this passage. Number one is, you must be born again. Jesus didn't say you should be, you ought to be, you ought to consider it, it's a good idea. Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, you must be, must be born again. This is probably one of the most amazing conversations Jesus ever had. And I'm so grateful that John wrote his gospel so that we could understand this conversation. And I want you to understand some things about Nicodemus so that you fully understand this conversation. First of all, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, I know, have gotten a bad rap in church. I I understand that. And I know that they became very legalistic. But they didn't start that way. They started as the most conservative theologians of the day. They were the ones who would argue for the inerrancy of the Bible. They believed the Bible was the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. That it had no errors in it. That it was completely truthful. And that it was given by the Holy Spirit. That's what those three words mean. They believed very much in the Bible. They practiced the Bible. They read the Bible. They, they, they tithed on everything that they had. That's more than we can say for most people attending church today. If they literally, if they got... Um, uh, ten peas. And I, I don't know if the Kivas ate peas back then, but I just, that's the first thing that came to my mind, those little English peas. They just set aside one. They tithed even on their food. They tithed on everything to the Lord. And they memorized the Bible. In order to be a Pharisee, now get this, in order just to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, I know that that doesn't impress you because you did that a long time ago. And that's very easy to do. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that's the book that you fudge in when you're reading through the Bible in a year. Numbers and Deuteronomy. 
They memorized that, plus other passages of Scripture. They wore on their belt and on their forehead little cases where they had rolled up Scripture, and they were called phylacteries, and they were rolled up Scripture other than the Torah, other than the law, the Pentateuch, Scripture that they had memorized. They constantly were, were giving themselves. They attended church faithfully. They were there every week. Now, here's what is so amazing about this. Jesus said to a man who attended church faithfully, tithed, prayed, fasted, and read the Bible, you're going to go to hell. That's amazing to me. Jesus said this man, and, and, and this, by the way, Nicodemus was an amazing man. He was not just a Pharisee, he was a Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Sanhedrin Council, which means he took it even to another level. But here's the other thing about him, and we didn't read it, but verse 10, Jesus said to him, Are you not the, the not a teacher, the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't know these things? Nicodemus was the head Pharisee and the head of the Sanhedrin Council. He was the, he was the teacher for all of Israel. He was the highest you could go. He, he was amazing. His name means victorious among the people. He's called a ruler here in John 3. But also many theologians believe he was actually the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 that came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Jesus said, well, you need to keep the law. He said, I've done that. Since my youth, I've done all that. And Jesus said, well, you just need to do one more thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible, and see, most people think that the rich young ruler then didn't get saved. The Bible doesn't say that. You know what the Bible says? This is all it says. He went away grieved. You would too. <laughs> Jesus knew what was holding his heart. In essence, he said, I've got to have all your heart. And it doesn't mean you have to sell everything to get saved. It just means that Jesus told him, in your case, you're going to have to. And, by the way, when the Pharisees did want to come against Jesus... Nicodemus refuted them. And then, when he's being buried, Nicodemus shows up with a hundred pounds of spices to embalm his body. And most people do believe that he became converted because of the historical things after his resurrection that Nicodemus did in the church and for the church. But let me tell you another thing. It's very possible he was the rich young ruler because he shows up to bury Jesus and he doesn't own a tomb. And he was a very wealthy man, and we know that. Very wealthy man before... And, his, and the tomb that they buried Jesus in was Joseph of Arimathea. Do you remember that? Guess who his best friend was? Nicodemus. So it's very possible that Nicodemus did sell everything he had and then convinced his best friend to let Jesus use the tomb. And, of course, it wasn't that big of a thing to convince him. He only needed it for a little while. <laughs> and then he got to use it again, you know. Jesus said to a man who attended church, read the Bible, prayed, fasted, and tithed, you're not going to make it. Unless you're born again. Now, I'm going to take it a step farther. I'm going to take this a step farther. Jesus said to a man who went to church, prayed, fasted, tithed, read the Bible, and believed in God. You're not going to make it to heaven unless this happens. Nicodemus believed in God. He believed in the one, he believed in the same God you believe in. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He believed in God. He read the same Bible as far as the Old Testament that you read, the Scriptures. I want to take it a step further. Jesus said to a man who attended church, prayed, fasted, tithed, read the Bible, believed in God, and 
believed in Jesus. You know how I know that? The first thing he said to him, he said, I believe you're who you say you are. I believe you came from God. I believe it. No one could do the signs. That was the sign to all Israel of a true prophet. No one could do the signs you do unless God's with you. I believe. I believe. And Jesus' response is, thank you. No, his response was, Nicodemus, you're not going to get there unless you're born again. And then Nicodemus asked a question that would be a normal question to ask. See, Nicodemus had never heard the term born again. He never heard, you know, Jimmy Carter back in the 70s use the term when he tried to get elected for office and a born again Christian. He never heard that term before, all right? So he said what exactly what you and I would say. How can a guy be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, no, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. This water is not referring to water baptism because the question was about natural birth. Natural birth. He said, can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? That womb is a womb of water. And when that water breaks, that baby's coming pretty quickly, right? So he said, no, that which is born of that water, you've got to be born of water naturally, and you've got to be born spiritually. And then he backs it up by the very next verse. We know that he's not talking about water baptism because Jesus says this, that which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. In other words, he's saying you've been born naturally, Nicodemus, but you have to be born spiritually. And by the way, born again is a good translation from the Greek, but it's not the best translation. The best translation is born from above. That's the best translation from the Greek. In other words, Jesus said, you've been born from below, now you need to be born from above. You must be born again, otherwise you're not going to get to heaven. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 7, alright? I want to show you another passage, because this is the second thing that I feel like is very clear that we need to understand about being born again. Secondly, we need to understand, many people have not been born again. And we could even say most people have not been born again. Many people have not been born again. But I'm using the word many because that's the word that's used here in this passage twice. So Matthew chapter 7, I want you to watch this, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. All right, now we're going to continue reading in just a moment, but look at me for a moment. He says there's two roads. There's a broad road and a narrow road. The broad road leads to destruction. The narrow road leads to life. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. It's very obvious, but I just want us to think along these lines. Would the word destruction represent heaven or hell? Okay, I know that's an easy one, but we want to say it. So there's a broad, wide road that leads to hell, right? Now, would the word life represent heaven or hell? Heaven. So there's a narrow, difficult road that leads to heaven, right? And then he used two words that describe the amount of people who are on each road. For the wide road leading to hell, what word did he use? Many. And for the narrow road that leads to heaven, what word did he, did he use? Few. Okay. Now, I know this is, a, 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 a again, a question we all know the answer to, but I want to state this. Is many more or less than few? 
Okay, everyone agree with that? Okay, listen to me carefully because this is very sobering. More people are going to hell than are going to heaven. See, we don't mind reading the passage, many and few, but we never think about many represents more. Many, all of you agreed. Don't look at me like that. All of you told me that many was more than few. More people are going to hell. Many of the funerals that you have attended, the person actually went to hell. And it really did not matter what the preacher said at the funeral. If that person was not born again, he was in hell before his wife got 911 on the phone. As soon as he died, he was in hell. And it's one of the times that, that, uh, that demons talk the most to us, and demons do talk, by the way. It's one of the times demons talk the most is at funerals because they say, you know that guy and you know how he lived, but that guy up there saying that he's, he's okay and he's in heaven now, you'll make it too. You're not going to make it if you're not born again. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15, beware of false prophets. Isn't that amazing he brings that in right now? Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I want you to notice, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. I remember talking to a guy one time who left his wife, who was a terrible person, who was doing all sorts of things, and he said to me, but I know I'm saved. I said, you are not saved. You are not saved. He said, you're not my judge. I said, no, but I'm your fruit inspector. And you have bad fruit. And I was told by Jesus, I will know you by your fruit. You have bad fruit. You will know them by their fruits. Look at verse 17. Now, in the next few verses, if you underline your Bible, I want you to underline a word. If you underline. If you don't underline your Bible, you don't have to start. That's fine with me. Because they last longer if you don't underline in them. I found that out. But you can make a note, all right? In the, in the next verse, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, Robert, I want you to underline the word every. All right? In other words, emphasize it. Understand it. Verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. How many trees bear good fruit? How many good trees? Every one of them, right? All right, in verse 18, the Lord said to me, I want you to underline the word cannot. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And in verse 19, I want you to underline the word every again. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree. How many trees that do not bear good fruit are going to be thrown into the fire? Would the fire represent heaven or hell? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be thrown into the fire. That's what your Bible says. Now, this one happened. When the Lord spoke this to me and told me to underline these words, all of a sudden I saw this passage differently. And I remember I said to the Lord, uh, I can't preach that. And the Lord said, I did. I said, yeah, and they killed you. You know what probably happened? 
Here's what probably happened. What probably happened was, after he preached this, this was a big crowd. This is Sermon on the Mount. This is a big old crowd. One of his first big crowds. And probably what happened after he preached this was that uh, he, got, he went back to pray and got alone with the Father, and the Father said to him, Do you know what you did? And Jesus said, No, what did I do? Well, you were out there, and it was a big crowd, and the cameras were going, and you had the lapel mic going and all, and, you know, you got all excited, and you said, every good tree bears good fruit. And it's not every one of them, it's just most of them. And you said, every tree that doesn't bear fruit, it's going to be throwing the fire. It's not all of them, it's just most of them. You made a mistake. And Matthew was there, he had a tape recorder, he's writing a book about this. Now, everyone's going to think that it's every, but it's not every, it's just most. There are exceptions. Do you think that's what happened? Or do you think if Jesus said every, he means every? All right, let's keep going. Verse 20, therefore by their fruits you will know them. Verse 21, not everyone, every, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who knows the will of my Father in heaven. Is that what your Bible says? No, he who, what? Oh, does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, oh, there's that word again. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, thank you. No. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's amazing. You, you could read those verses every day for the rest of your life and it would blow you away every time you read them. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord's going to go to heaven. But it's the ones who allow me to change their lives and they begin doing the will of God. It's the ones who are born again that allow me to change the root of their life. You'll never have good fruit until God changes your root. And you can't change your root and you can't change your fruit. You can only come to God, and He can change you. That's how you get saved. You come to God, and God does a miracle in your life and changes your want to, your desire, your heart. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to go to heaven. Many people are going to come and say, Lord, didn't we, we prophesied in your name. And we did our thing. And by the way, I just want to clarify something. These aren't people who lost their salvation. They don't, don't, don't say that. Because this is what Jesus said. Here, here was His answer to them. I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you for a while, but you fell away. He said, we've never met. We've never met. I've never known you. Never. Never. If Jesus said never, guess what he means? Never. Now, here's my question for you. If many people actively engaged in the work of God are not saved, how many more just attend church? How many more just attend at Easter? This is an amazing passage because many people who believe they're saved are not saved. Now, see, I had a genuine born-again experience. I got genuinely born again at 19 years old in a motel room. And yes, I mean motel, not hotel. Jake's Motel. It's not a classy place. Room 12. They only had 13. I didn't want 13 because it was unlucky. So I took room 12. 
and got born again. And I grew up in church. I went on youth retreats. I went on youth camps. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I did all that stuff. You understand? I did that stuff. I used to pray the prayer, God, if I'm not saved, save me. Can I tell you something? That prayer does not work. I'll prove it to you. A couple of reasons. Number one, you've prayed it more than once. If it works, you don't have to pray it once. But the second reason is because that's not what the way the Bible says you come to God. You don't come to God and say, God, if I am lost, then save me. If I am a sinner, then save me. If I do need you, then save me. But if I don't, don't worry about it. You come to God and you say, I am a sinner. I am lost. I do need you. And you are my only hope. That's the way you get saved. And many, many people pray that constantly. And then people will say to me, when, they, when I talk about my born again experience, this is what they'll say. Well, everyone's experience isn't the same. No, but Jesus is. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when He changes someone, He changes them. Whether they're 19 or 9, He changes their life. Because He has the power to change our lives. So here's the third thing I want you to understand. Birth is radical change. It is radical change. For years, I've heard these testimonies. Now, you think about it, if you've heard these testimonies, and some of them, it's going, to be, it's going to be your testimony, I'm about to say. I would say when I was eight, but I didn't understand everything. I didn't read my Bible, so I didn't grow. And then when I was a teenager in the service or in college, whatever, I, did, I just went wild. And I did all sorts of things, and I got married, and we started going to church, and finally I decided, God, I just, I just can't live this way anymore. And, and or just one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and, and Lord, I just give up, and I totally surrender, and I 100% I commit, and I want you to be my Lord, not just my Savior, and that's when the change happened in my life. You ever heard that testimony? It's not biblical. It's not biblical. It's nowhere in the Bible. No one in the Bible got saved and didn't change. Finally one that got saved and didn't change. I got saved and I didn't change. You realize you start your, your testimony off uh, with, with a, a contradiction. I got saved and I didn't change. The creator of the universe came into my life and didn't affect me at all. I got saved and I didn't change. I've heard that testimony all my life. I've heard people say that. And I say, God, what, what is the thing? And these people are probably saved now. They just got their theology messed up. And so I said to the Lord, God, would you show me a verse in the Bible that will help explain this for me? And I was in my quiet tub one day, and I was just wrapped with this. God, please show me a verse in the Bible. And the Lord told me to turn to a book, a chapter, and a verse. Now, I don't know if you all noticed this, but God really knows the Bible. It is amazing to me how well he knows the Bible. And so the Lord told me to turn. I just want to read it for you. Hosea 9.11 says, As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Now, this is, let me explain it to you. He's pronouncing judgment on the tribes of Israel at this time. And he says, when you depart from me, this is what's going to happen. Ephraim, you departed, so the glory that you had left. Flew away like a bird. And when this happens, this will be the result. There'll be no birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Now, listen to me carefully. The church as a whole, for hundreds of years, departed from God. 
It's their touch called the Dark Ages. You may have even read about it in history and not understood why it was called the Dark Ages. We departed from God. Here's what happened when you depart from God. You start coming up with all sorts of theology that's totally inaccurate. And we come up with the theology that you can be saved and not change now. And we explain it this way. And we say, but you need to rededicate. Rededicate. Well, let me tell you what I call rededicate. Redead. Just get dead all over again if you're not saved. So we have all these things. But here's the thing that blew me away. Jesus likened salvation to birth. He's the one that likened it to birth, right? You must be born again. And we've always talked about growth after birth. You know, this person got saved, but they didn't grow. Well, here's what this verse showed me. There is growth before birth. Think about this. He said, no birth, but before birth there are two more steps. Pregnancy and conception. And during pregnancy, there is growth. There is gradual change. This is what else people tell me. I say, well, did you change? They say, well, I gradually changed. Well, there is gradual change after, after conception, but there is radical change after birth. Think about the testimonies now that we hear. I was saved, but I didn't change. And then I was, you know, went through this time and I said, God, I sell out. And boy, that's when the change came in my life. By the way, if that's your testimony, you are not a witness. If that's your testimony, you have probably never won anyone to Jesus Christ. You know why? Just think about your testimony. I was saved and I didn't change. Why would anyone else want to get saved? Okay, think about your testimony. Just think, think about this for a moment. Don't be a church person for a moment. Think like you've never heard, you've never heard the word saved or rededicated. You never heard those two words. And someone says to you, I was saved and I didn't change. As a matter of fact, my life was miserable. It was miserable. And I was involved in drugs and alcohol and immorality and all this stuff. And then I rededicated and now everything's fine. Wouldn't you like to be saved too? Come on, if you're sharp at all, you're going to say, no, I'd like to rededicate, please. Because you got saved and we're miserable. But you rededicate and everything's fine. Listen, there is a, a stage between conception and birth. Let, let me ask the, the experts here, all right? That's not you, man. Let me ask the experts here about birth. Has a baby ever, in the natural, has a baby ever been conceived and immediately it was born? Has that ever happened? No. There's a period between conception and birth, and it is called pregnancy. Yeah, one of the ladies last night said, hell. Okay, it's called pregnancy, and it's miserable, right? And it gets more miserable toward the end. Come on, am I right? It, it gets, now, I know there's a joy, I understand that, but you, you can't tell me you, you like it. I don't want to go into all the things. Okay. But the point is, there's a time. And what about the, the birth? I know there's a joy, but there's, there's pain, right, associated with that. There's pain there. I, when, when Debbie was um, in labor, our first child was a C-section. And then the Lord spoke to us to have the next one at home, which is a no-no, unless God really speaks it. So we had our second child at home, and he was nine pounds and five ounces. And Debbie's a very petite woman. And she had, and there was pain. I know there was pain because I entered the room every now and then. <laughs> I remember I went in the room one time and, and there was some Sprite there. And the midwife said to me, give her some Sprite. So I kind of held it up by her mouth and she said to me, I don't want any. <laughs> and so I said to the midwife, 
she doesn't want any. And the midwife said, you give it to her anyway. She needs that. So I held it up again, and she turned, and she said to me, I said I didn't want any. So I left the room. I went and prayed some more. So I know it's miserable. Think about the, think, come on, think about the testimonies for a minute. I was saved. I didn't change. All gradual change. And then I was miserable. And I finally said to God, I can't live like this anymore. I just give you everything. I sell out 100%. I make you my Lord. And that's when the change happened. I'm like, are y'all not seeing this? That's when people get saved. You get saved when the change comes. And I, people say, well, well, can a child be saved? Yes, a child can be saved. But there has to be a conception of the seed first. This is all through the Bible. Jesus told us parables about, parables about this, that the seed is sown or conceived, and then some of it doesn't come to birth. Matter of fact, 75% of the seed that's sown does not come to birth, is what Jesus said. Only one out of four actually comes to birth. Because the enemy is doing everything he can to keep that person from coming to birth. And that's where some of you are. You had a seed conceived in you as a child, but you've never really been saved. Some of you men come to church because your wife wants you to, or because it's good for business, or because it's just a good thing to do and it makes you feel better about yourself, but you've never been born again. And you need to be born again today. My wife got saved when she was nine years old, genuinely born again. Josh, our oldest son, came to us when he was eight years old under tremendous conviction. And then just a few weeks after that, James, who was five, began to ask questions. We, were, we overheard him talking to Josh in the other room. And James said to Josh, just a few weeks after Josh got saved, James said, Josh, are you a Christian? And Josh said, yes. And he said, is dad a Christian? Now, personally, I didn't think he would have to ask that question. He said, is dad a Christian? Josh said, yes. He said, is mom a Christian? Yes. He paused for a minute. He said, I'm not a Christian yet. So a few weeks later, he came to me, and he wanted to be a Christian. So we let him in the, talk to him about it. I explained everything. I went through everything. But let me tell you something. There was a change in Josh. There was no change in James. Here's what he did. He received the idea that Jesus was the Son of God. But when he was 15, he received Jesus as God. Not just the theory or the philosophy. He received the person. And he grew up in our home. And I just prayed. And I saw, I watched, I just watched how, how he was so strong-willed. So strong-willed. He's the strongest person I know. He's unbelievable. You just can't imagine the, the difficulty we had. And we used to, with, with Josh... I would say to him, no. Even when he was a little baby, no. And if I said it too loud, he'd start crying. He was just very sensitive to my voice. I'd say to James, no. 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 And he'd do this. He'd go. You know, whatever I told him not to touch, he'd just put his hand like that. And so I'd take his hand and go, no. And he'd go, And so I'd take his hand again. No! And you'd want him to just start screaming. He'd go... <laughs> it was any, any of you relate to a child like that? They need to get saved. And so when he was 15, we started noticing that he was changing. 
He was all of a sudden being kind to his sister. That's a miracle. Things changed. He was compassionate and considerate. And, and so we said to him, when I was there on time, we said, James, you're so different. You're just, you're just so different. We just love what we see in you. And he said, well, it's probably because I got saved this summer. I said, were you even considering telling us this news? This is what he said. I figured y'all could tell. And we could. And so then he got baptized. That seed was conceived. Here, here's the last thing. How, how can I know if I've been born again? I want to be very practical with you. How can I know if I've been born again? Here, here it is. When did the change happen? When did you stop going your way and start going God's way? And it's never happened. You've never been saved. And when it happened, that's when you got saved. Don't call it something else. Don't say it was when you were nine if that's not when you stopped going your way and started going God's way. And you can stop going your way and start going God's way when you're nine. Children can be saved. But many, many times, it's just a seed being conceived in them. Let me, let me give you an illustration, all right? I was born going the wrong way. I was born going that way. That's the wrong way, all right? I was born going the wrong way. I was born going my own way, is what Isaiah 53 says in Romans 3. I was born going the wrong way, my own way, all right? And I grew up in church, though, so I knew that I was supposed to be going the other way. I knew I was supposed to do the right thing, you know? And so I would try to do the right thing. I would put pressure on myself. You, you ever, you know what I mean? You, you don't understand. And I'd say, oh, I gotta do the right thing. I gotta do the right thing. I gotta do, oh, oh, I gotta do the right thing. But if I ever let the pressure off, boy, I just went right back to doing the wrong thing. And when I was 19 in a motel room, after walking the aisle many times, after rededicating, after being baptized three times growing up as a child, three times I got baptized. Trying to do it right. Trying to get it all straight. Trying to go the right way. Finally, in that motel room, I said to God, I can't change. I have tried my whole life to change. I've tried to do the right thing. I can't change. And if there's anyone that deserves to go to hell, it's me. And I know that, God. But I want you in my life. I want you. I want you. And I don't know if you want me or not. But if you do, you can have me. And God reached down from heaven and went, Phew. just like that. I mean, just like that. Just, I, I walked in the hotel room going this way. God, just, just like that. I walked in going one way, walked out going another way. And now I want to do the right thing. I, I want to do the right thing. I want to love God. I want to serve God. Now, here's what I found out, though, since I've become a Christian. If I put pressure on myself, I can do the wrong thing. If I say, no, no, I am not going to forgive her. No, no, because she does this all the time. No, no, oh. Okay, I'll forgive her. Because I just can't, I can't hold a grudge now. I tried. I tried. But I don't want to. Now I want to forgive. Are, are, are y'all following me? Alright, when did the change happen in your life? And let me explain something else. People say, well, well, what if you don't know the date? It's okay. I, I really liken it to being, to being married. When you get married, someone moves in with you. And you might forget the date once. <laughs> but you don't forget that someone moved in with you. That's what you, Listen, when you got saved, someone moved in with you and has been living with you ever since. 
And you may not know the date, but you know that you got married. Now, here's the thing. We're going to liken it to marriage, all right? Here's the thing that blows me away. I've said to people before, are you saved? Boy, I get all sorts of answers. Now, I want you to just think about for a moment. If you came up to me after the service and you said, Pastor Robert, are, are you married? And I went, hmm. let me think. Well, I, I think I am. I think I am. I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, I am. What would you think? I've asked people, are you saved? That's the answer I get. Well, I think I am. Okay, we got a problem. Or how about this one? When? Come on, just ask me that first. Robert, when were you married? Well, that has always been a tough one for me. It could have been when I was eight. Might have been when I was 18. Might have been when I was 23. I, 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 you know, if you pinpoint me on it, I'd have to say uh, 23 or 18. 18 or 23. It's one of those, 18 or 23. Those are the answers I've gotten. When, when, when were you saved? It's always been a tough one for me. Could have been when I was 8. Might have been when I was 23. Okay, we have a problem. You know, the problem is either you're not saved. Or you got saved at a later time and the church's theology has really messed you up. It's one or the other. So I want to know something today. When did the change happen? When did you stop going your way and start going God's way? And let me just tell you, if there's any doubt, you need to do it today. You need to tell God, I'm tired of going my way and I'm ready to go your way. And let me tell you something. You say, well, but see, you don't understand. I've tried to change before, and I can't change. That's exactly right. You can't change. But God can change you. I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek. If he has the power to change, to, to create this world, don't you think he has the power to change your life? He's just waiting for you to give him permission. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you some questions, and I want to ask you to be honest with me and with the Lord. No one's looking around right now. I want to know how many of you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. Now, don't raise your hand right now because I want to preface this with some statements. You know that you know that you know that you've changed. God has changed you. You know that you know that you know that you've received Him as your Lord and He's come in and He is your Lord now. And please don't lie. If you can't raise your hand in a moment, don't, don't, don't lie. Just be honest. How many of you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Why don't you just put your hand up and put it right back down. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Many of you cannot raise your hands. Thank you for being honest. Thank you very much for being honest. And I want to ask you to go a step farther. How many of you would be honest to say, Robert, I don't know for sure. I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. I know all that. But to be honest with you and with God, if I die today, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to come to you or embarrass you in any way. 
But would you just be honest? Would you just put your hand up and say, I don't know. Put it way up high where I can see it. Probably I really don't know. But God, you have to go put it way up high. God bless you. Put your hand up. You don't have to leave. That's the good news. You wouldn't have put your hand up if the Holy Spirit wasn't drawing you. He's drawing you. So will you answer? It's the most wonderful thing in the world. Just give him permission to come into your life. It's wonderful, I promise you. So back to you. I want to lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. As I pray out loud, I want you to just pray this prayer in your heart to God. Just pray this to God right now. If that's you, pray this. Say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and to come into my life today. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me today. Now, no one's still looking around. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant this with God, I want you to put your hand up right now. You ought to be proud of it. Put it way up high. I prayed that prayer. I really meant this with God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Put your hand up. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to go a step farther. And that is that in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to pray in just some worship song. And I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer and you really meant business with God, to get up out of your seat, we'll all stand. And as soon as you stand up, I'm going to ask you just to step out and come to the altar. Basically, with your most about dry clothes. And I'm going to pray you. Now, here's the reason that I'm asking you to do that. Jesus said, if you will confess me before me, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. This, this is eternal business, what we're doing today. I'm not asking you to join this church. You may even live somewhere else. I'm asking you to publicly say, just by coming forward, I am giving my life to Jesus and I'm nailing it down today. So that's you. I want you to make up your mind right after I pray. When we stand, we're just going to stand up and stand down and right? Holy Spirit, I pray that you will draw every person that needs right now. Let's stand and worship. That's you. If you pray that prayer, just stand up, step out, and come. Just stand right now. Don't wait to get someone else to move up. Just step out and come, and just stay free and go to the best out of my world. If you pray that prayer, and you really meant business with God, come on. Don't, don't let the devil be this. He's one of them.